Amen. Well, good morning, Seven Mile Road. If you would open your Bibles with me to Psalm 96. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you this question. What is your favorite memory of singing? I want you to think of your favorite memory of singing. Maybe you're thinking of driving in the car, windows down with some of your best friends, and you turn up the volume because it's your favorite song. And what do you do? You sing. You sing at the top of your lungs. Or maybe it's at a concert and it's your favorite band, your favorite artist, and and then you hear the introduction to your favorite song. And so you sing in a crowd of strangers. You sing out. Or maybe for you, it's around the holidays, during Christmas time, singing Christmas carols with your family, or perhaps it's at a worship service, and that is uh, your favorite memory. Maybe you can think of a time where you really were singing in a unique way, where it wasn't just being self-conscious about the people around you and kind of humming along, but no, you were really singing out. I don't know what the answer is for you, but for me, I have a few new favorite memories of singing. I had a chance to go on a trip a few months back to India to visit one of our mission partners, Soul Winners India. I got to travel with four of our brothers and sisters from here at Seven Mile Road. And one of the things that marked this trip was singing. Over and over throughout this trip, everywhere we went, we sang with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the first night we were there, we gathered with the local church in the village where we were for a time of prayer and a time of singing and a time in the Word of God. And then the next day, we gathered with some of the the orphan children at the children's home there, and they had songs prepared for us, and we got to sing and dance together. And then the next night, we, we went to a prayer meeting in this remote village in northern India in the middle of the jungle. And we're going to have a prayer meeting here at Seven Mile Road. You can join us this, this week from 7 to 8.15. But over there in India, it's a little bit different. It starts at 7 p.m., but it went all night until 7 a.m. Lots of singing, lots of prayer, lots of um, worship together. And one of the songs that we heard over and over that week really just was ringing in our ears by the end of the trip because we had sung it so many times. And, uh, and I'm actually going to just sing this for you, so uh, you're welcome for that. But I, I, can't, I can't actually sing this song without dancing as well. So this is one of the songs that we sang with our brothers and sisters in Christ in India. It went like this. And that song, the, the lyrics to that song that we sang over and over are this in English. What is there to fear when Jesus is with us? We're singing with with these precious children who were taken from the streets, who were abandoned by their parents, or some of them had lost their parents, and they've been brought to this home where they're hearing about the love of Jesus, and and they were singing, what is there to fear when Jesus is with us? We were in this remote village where previously there was no access to the gospel, and, and a missionary pastor came and preached Jesus to these men and women and children, and many of them have heard and responded to this gospel. And they're in a place where they face intense persecution and opposition for their faith, but they're singing. What is there to fear when Jesus is with us? We got to travel to the other side of the world and, and join this celebration with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, uh, and let me just tell you, when you get to experience the nations worshiping Jesus— You can never be the same 
because you've tasted how glorious this global celebration really is that's going to culminate in heaven one day. And so with that in mind, I want to direct your attention to Psalm 96. It's a psalm about singing and about the nations, the whole earth singing to the Lord, to the King of glory. So read it with me if you would. Take a look at Psalm 96. I'm going to read it for us. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For He comes, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. Did you hear it in this psalm? There's a lot of repetition Sing to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, and that the Lord will come again. Over and over we hear this repetition. And what what we're hearing in this psalm, what we're going to explore together in Psalm 96 today, is that there is a global celebration happening right now. In the midst of a time where all we can think about when we hear that word global is a global pandemic. It is the one thing that the whole world has in common right now that we're thinking about constantly. And and I want to remind us from Psalm 96 that where the Psalter is heading, even as we've been in this series of cultivating fire in our prayer closets by journeying through the Psalms, we need to see that the Psalter is building towards this grand celebration of the glory of God. It's building towards the nations singing to the Lord. The glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And we need to see this today, that there is a global celebration that began before COVID-19 and it will last long after. It will last forever and ever. And we get to participate in this global celebration as we sing our hearts out to the Lord, as we invite everyone to participate in this celebration with us, and as we long for the main event. So take a look back with me at verses 1 through 2 as we see what it looks like to sing our hearts out and in so doing join in this global celebration. The psalmist says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. You hear the repetition over and over. Sing, sing, sing. Why is the psalmist commanding us to sing. Why should we sing? I know for many of you today, you might be hearing this and thinking to yourself, I don't really feel like singing right now. I have so much stress, so much anxiety. I am dealing with the fact that my job is unstable, or maybe maybe I don't have my job anymore. Maybe you're dealing with loss and grief, and, and regardless of where you're coming from today, you might not feel like singing. 
But notice what the psalmist says here. He says, sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. He's not just talking about singing in general. He's not just talking about having the windows down in your car and just singing whatever your your favorite song was back in college. He is talking about singing to the Lord. Why is the Lord worthy of us singing to Him? Why should we? Why should we sing to Him? I want to give you a few reasons. What the psalmist says is the Lord is great. He is greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all gods, says verse 4. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. He is the creator of all that is. He made you. He formed you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. And he knows that you were made. You were made to sing to him. You were made to worship him. He has designed you in such a way where your joy will be most full when you are glorifying him. But not only that, I want to direct our attention to uh, this amazing passage in, near the end of the Old Testament that we don't read all the time. It's from Zephaniah chapter 3. And I just want to read this to you real quick as you think about why is it that we should sing to the Lord. And it says this in Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Did you hear that? In a time when the people of God were tempted to fear. The prophet reminds them that the Lord is the mighty one. He's this mighty warrior who who delights to quiet you with his love. He wants to wrap you up in his arms and he rejoices over you with singing. Do you know this about the Lord? Have you experienced this? That because of what Jesus did on the cross, because he died for us and rose again, if your faith is in him, you receive the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. You are welcomed into God's family as his beloved son or daughter. And just like a mom or a dad rocks their their baby to sleep and sings songs over them to soothe them and calm them, this is what God is like. He is a father who delights to sing songs over his children. And when you hear him singing over you, you can't help but respond in singing. And so the psalmist says, sing a new song. Not that we don't love old songs. As you know, we love singing hymns around here. We want to be rooted in biblical history and in church history. And yet, that word new can also be translated as fresh. Because for every fresh experience you have of the grace and goodness of God, you must respond with something new. It won't suffice just to rely on your parents' faith or your grandparents' faith or your great-grandparents' faith. When you are experiencing God, when you're tasting and seeing that He is good, you must sing. I was thinking about it this way. Um, It's kind of like a pressure cooker. I think my wife just chuckled a little bit because she knows that I don't know how to use a pressure cooker. But if you imagine a pressure cooker or a tea kettle or a crawfish boiler, I know I just got someone's attention mentioning crawfish, All of these devices, because there's so much steam and heat and pressure, they have to have a safety valve. There has to be a a relief valve for all the pressure. And as we've been talking about cultivating fire in our prayer closets, brothers and sisters, when you really meet with God, when you hear Him speaking to you through His Word and by the Spirit, when you get a glimpse of His glory, that fire has to come out. 
and praise and worship, or else you're not spending time with him, you're not meeting with him. And, and there are times in our, in our walks with the Lord where we, where we struggle to hear from him. We struggle, he feels far off. And I just want to invite you during those times, those are times when you need to sing all the more. And you need the community around you to remind you to sing, to remind you that he's good. Because we sing about the things that we love. And, and singing, brothers and sisters, is both, it is an expression of our affections, but it also is something that shapes our affections. You will begin to love the things that you sing about. So as we think about this, as we think about what it means to join in this global celebration by singing our heart out, what we're saying is that we're called to be worshipers of the living God, not just knowing intellectual facts about Him, not just studying the Bible so that we would have a lot of answers. Our theology ought to result in doxology, praise. It must, or else we've missed the whole point. We study the Word of God to know a person. And so let me ask you, are you growing as a worshiper of Jesus? Is your time with the Lord in the morning resulting in praise and worship? You need to sing. You need to sing. Moms and dads, your children need to hear you singing. Kids will love the things that their parents love. Are you filling your homes with the songs of the Lord, with the praises of the Lord? And when we gather together for worship, even if it's virtually like this, are you singing out to the Lord, not for the people to your right and to your left, but are you singing to Him? Because when you do, your heart will be full of joy and you will be ministering to those around you. Notice in this psalm that the commands to sing are followed by this expressing of God's glory, telling of His salvation in verse 2, declaring His glory in verse 3, declaring His marvelous works among all the peoples because we can't help but share the things that we enjoy. And so from Psalm 96, I want us to see that there is a global celebration happening right now, and we participate in this celebration as we sing our hearts out. And so sing to the Lord. It's good for your soul. And it is an expression of the glory of God to those around you. It will fuel your witness to the world as you worship the Lord. He is worthy. So let's keep moving. Not only do we participate in this global celebration by singing our hearts out, but then in verses 7 through 9, we see that we participate in this celebration by inviting everyone. It's actually part of participating. So look back at verses 7 through 9. It says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. If you've been tracking with us, you might remember this term, ascribe, ascribe, ascribe. These verses really closely mirror what we read when we started the Psalms um, in Psalm 29. And back in Psalm 29, David is saying, ascribe to the Lord. And he's inviting the heavenly beings, the angels, to ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. But here the psalmist is saying, all families of the peoples, all peoples of the earth, the nations are invited to ascribe to the Lord glory. And that word ascribe means to give or to set or to place. You can define this worship term for ascribe as to humbly give credit and acknowledgement to God for these attributes that are His. 
And so what it means to ascribe, what it means to invite others to ascribe is to show them, to tell them that God is the most worthy object of their worship. Indeed, he alone is worthy. I've been thinking about it like this this week. My dad loves the show, The Antiques Roadshow. And I have these memories of watching the show with him somewhat bored because I never felt like they got to anything really valuable. Lots of times I was underwhelmed by what the appraisal of the piece of furniture was. But I just would always imagine, what if somebody finally showed up with this incredible diamond necklace? Like, what would the response be of of the guy on the Antiques Roadshow? Would he pull out his little monocular and look at it? And I just imagine him like falling back in his chair with labored breathing, realizing this thing is priceless. I mean, the lady that showed up with this old family heirloom in her sock comes home saying, this is the most valuable thing in my entire house, in my entire life. I have to put this on display in my home. That's what this word ascribe is like. It is to examine the facts and to allow it to go from the head to the heart to the actions that this God is worthy of all of our lives and all of our worship. Indeed, he's the only object of our our worship that will not distort our lives. Everything else will, will cause our hearts to shrink because we will become like what we worship. But God alone is worthy of our worship. As we worship Him, as we see Him in His glory, our hearts expand with love for Him and love for others. And so do you see in this psalm, part of the celebration is inviting others. And I just want to ask you, who are you inviting to this celebration? When's the last time that you invited someone to see and glorify Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords, to trust in Him? I know for me, it has been rather uncomfortable studying this psalm and recognizing this fact that my lack of inviting my non-believing friends and neighbors and um, just people that the Lord has crossed my paths with over the years, the reason why I don't invite them, it ultimately traces back to a worship issue. It's that I love me too much. I love myself. I love my comfort. I I care about my reputation. I care about all sorts of things that I have placed as more valuable than the Lord and His glory. And what we're seeing in this psalm is that if we do not long to invite everyone to this celebration, we need to go back to step one and worship. We need to go back and sing until we're really singing. We need to read God's word until we're really reading it. We need to pray until we're really praying. We need our hearts to be singing to the Lord so that we will naturally desire to share that which we are enjoying. You know, C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. Unless shyness or the fear of boring others is deliberately brought in to check it. Does that sound familiar? Sometimes it's either shyness or it's that we're worried about what this person will think of us. Even though we know that our hearts are full of joy when we get to meet with the Lord and hear from Him. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their Mistress, readers, their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries. You get the point. But what he goes on to say is that I think we delight to praise what we enjoy 
because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. Brothers and sisters, what we're seeing here in this psalm is that part of this celebration is inviting others. As we get near to God in worship, as we remember who He is and who we are, and the great lengths He has gone to to save us in the person and work of Jesus, that He died for us and rose again. Part of this celebration is inviting everyone. Everyone that we know that does not worship the Lord in this way, our hearts ought to be burdened. It ought to be our earnest desire that they would be saved. And this expands not just to our immediate neighborhood or our immediate city or just people who look like us. Do you see that God's heart is for the nations? And as we get near to Him, as we worship Him, His loves start to shape our loves. His desires shape our desires. And we begin to long that the nations would worship Jesus. So let me ask you this. Do you care about that? If you're honest, do you care about people on the other side of the world who don't have access to the gospel? Does that matter to you? And if not, the answer is not to muster up some more willpower. The answer is to worship, to sing to the Lord, to enjoy Him and allow His affections to shape yours. And so I just want to charge you to ask the Lord this question. Father, what would it mean for me to grow in my enjoyment in you in such a way that I long to invite others? And if you, if you want to begin to cultivate this heart that we see from the psalmist here for the nations to worship Jesus, let me just suggest a few practical ways that you can do that this week. I want to charge you, one really helpful way is just to learn about what God's doing all throughout the world. And so one great website that's really helpful is called joshuaproject.net. I would urge you, just look it up. You can even do it right now. It won't offend me. Look up joshuaproject.net. What we learn on this website from missiologists is that there are over 17,000 people groups all throughout the world. That's what this idea of peoples is. It's not political states. It's, it's, it's people with their own ethno-linguistic identity. There's over 17,000 people groups, and 7,000 of them are unreached with the gospel. And of that, there's approximately 3,000 that aren't even engaged with a missionary right now. And, and brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Our hearts ought to burn when we see this God in all His glory. We long that His glory would cover the earth. This is what happens when you worship this God. You will long that others will do the same. So let me urge you to spend time praying for our missions partners, for Soul Winners India, for City Church Lagos, Nigeria, for City Church Accra, Ghana, for For All Mankind Movement. Kevin Phillips, who leads that that ministry, came and spoke at our churchwide retreat in February. Would you pray? Would you ask the Lord how you can partner in His work financially and in your prayers that the nations would worship Jesus? Because we participate in this global celebration as we sing our hearts out and invite everyone to participate. But finally, the way that we participate is we long for the main event. Did you see it in verses 10 through 13? The repetition here was that he will judge in verse 10. In verse 13, before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. There it is again. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. And interestingly, this coming judgment of the Lord is is met with joy by the created order. Rather than many times when we think of judgment, we think of fear. And yet the created order, the creation itself is rejoicing because the true king is returning. 
What we're seeing here from the psalmist is that we actually have to long for the main event if we are going to grow as worshipers, if we're going to participate in this celebration. The image here of of the Lord coming to judge is not only referring to a judge sitting on the bench ready to hit the gavel, it's actually also referring to this idea of the king sitting on his throne, ruling justly. Our hearts, when we get near to this God, when we behold Him, we long that He would reign as King. One commentator said it this way, when God reigns as King, when God reigns as King, even His most humble creatures can be themselves. Where God reigns as King, where the Lord reigns as King, there is singing because all is right. In the Jesus Storybook Bible, which we love reading to our kids, Sally Lloyd-Jones says it this way, one day all of the sad things are going to come untrue because Jesus came the first time to inaugurate his kingdom through his life and death and resurrection, and he will return to consummate his kingdom. He will return and everything will be made right. When he reigns as king, finally and fully, there will be no more death, no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain. In the Lord of the Rings, uh, there's this quote that I love, and it is when Sam is just um, overwhelmed and about to give up because of the evil that he is experiencing and he's surrounded with. And all of a sudden, as he's just at the point of despair, he looks up and sees this star. And it says, The beauty of it smote his heart. He looked up out of the forsaken land, and hope was returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. Brothers and sisters, as we worship the Lord, as we sing to Him and invite others to do the same, as we see Him, our hearts begin to realize that He's coming back, that there is light and high beauty forever beyond the reach of of the brokenness that we're experiencing that one day we're going to look back and this will be, the shadow will be just like a drop in the ocean compared to the light and high beauty of being with the Lord. So let me close by saying this. Psalm 96 has a lot of parallels to this, uh, to Acts chapter 17. And in Acts chapter 17, what we realize is that the judge of all the earth is Jesus. Paul is in Athens and his spirit is provoked within him. He sees that the city's full of idols. And he engages the people there winsomely and respectfully, but he closes by saying this, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all peoples everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And and he has given assurance to all of this by raising him from the dead. Friends, this judgment is only a terrifying thing. Death is only a terrifying thing. If you don't know the judge as your glorious Savior and Lord, if you don't know him as your loving Father who sings over you, who delights in you. And so would you repent of whatever else you're trusting in? Would you lay aside the idols that pull at your heart, the other things that you value, and run to him and admit that you are a sinner and believe in Jesus, the risen King and Lord, as your Savior and confess him as your Lord Remember that He alone is worthy of your praise. And when, when you do, you will know that death can only bring you closer to Him, that there is light and high beauty forever and ever, that we will get to sing to Him with all of our brothers and sisters throughout the world. What is there to fear when Jesus is with us? Amen. Let me pray for us.
Father, thank you for these moments in the scriptures. Thank you that it's true, that you reign as king, Jesus, and we long for your return. And I pray, God, for uh, my brothers and sisters that you would just strengthen them, that you would teach us to sing to you, to worship you. Would you calm our hearts, God, as we are reminded of your love for us. And I pray that our worship would overflow into witness to your gospel, to the ends of the earth. Help us to be your hands and feet in our city and in our world. We need you, Lord Jesus. We give you all the glory and honor and praise. In your name we pray. Amen.